I think this is working. It sounds like it's working. Yeah, it's good. Good to see all of you this evening. It really is down here, up there, and uh, online as well, I understand. So thank you so much for the privilege of being with you. Thank you again for the warm, warm words of welcome. It's always a delight to come back here to uh, Union Chapel. I can't remember the first time I was here, but it was a long, long, long time ago. And here we are back again. Uh, maybe three years ago thereabouts before COVID and then something on Zoom, whatever the case might be but just so good to be here in person and you know what friends if you're looking for a chauffeur to get from A to B if you're looking for a chauffeur to get from here to somewhere else I can recommend the man up there behind that camera (laughs) Brother Kwesi, he he offered a chauffeur me from his home here this evening and he was so unlike Jehu Remember what the Bible said about Jehu? He driveth furiously. But my friend Kwesi was right on tack. And I'm very grateful for that. I certainly am. Uh, Thank you so much for praying for us. Uh, We appreciate the prayers of God's people. And uh, I realize they're dotted all over the country and quite literally around the world. There are people who faithfully pray for us day after day. And that's not something that we take for granted. And you friends have been very loyal in inquiring after Lois and her health, etc. She had what the medics thought was a couple of seizures. um, The middle of February, Valentine's Day. And that obviously had quite an impact on her. But then the MRI results came through yesterday morning. And apparently that's not what the problem was. Apparently it was a UTI which was causing the problem. Or so they say now. But time will tell. We have an appointment with our neurologist at the, end of November, at the end of April. And that will be a key appointment. Because that is the one where they will determine whether or not she has shunt surgery. To relieve some of the excess cerebral fluid in her brain. And if she does have shunt surgery... The neurologist will then report back to the neurosurgeon, who sounds like quite a delightful lady, and um, she will implement it ASAP. So, my dear friends, uh, keep on praying for us. Keep on praying for Lois. The Alzheimer's is certainly taking its toll, some days worse than others. Sometimes it's quite comical, it's quite humorous, um, but other times it's quite alarming and quite disconcerting as well so do keep on praying for us won't you and I'm sure the Lord will answer your prayers now you'll find that down there is a little bookstall in miniature that I'm sure you'll want to take full advantage of this little book came out literally a week before Christmas it's still hurting Lord Uh, tells our story of what happened to Timothy uh, 35 years ago when he was fatally injured in a road traffic accident, uh, it tells it like it is. And what has happened over the last three and a half decades, because last year we would have celebrated his 50th birthday, but together now he's in the glory. Different people handle death in different ways. And so this little book is absolutely honest. It tells it like it is. But I think through the realities of losing a loved one so near and so dear to you, I think the message of hope shines right through as well that come what may he will hold us fast now you get a signed copy this evening i know um marilyn has already got one or two copies in fact she had a senior moment 
And she ordered two copies, two times over. But I wasn't going to tell you that. Uh, but there you are. You're not the only one who's seen your moments. Marilyn has them as well. And, uh, but yet, you get two copies for a tenner. You get one copy for a fiver. All right. Um, but they are available at the very end and really ideal for yourself, but also for passing on to other people. If they know the Lord, if they don't know the Lord, I warmly commend it to you. So let's turn now, shall we, to the book of Lamentations and turning to chapter 3. These words have been going through my heart and mind for quite a number of weeks now for maybe fairly obvious reasons. Uh, I just can't get away from them at all. They're just so meaningful, not only to me, but I'm sure they will be to you as well as we seek to unpack what God has to say to us. From this little section, I'm sure you all know where it is. It's Isaiah, the big book, Jeremiah, another big book, and then you get Lamentations, and then you get the big book of Ezekiel. So Lamentations and chapter 3. We're not going to read the entire chapter 3, but just want to pick up down there in verse 20. Verse 20. Probably Jeremiah writing here says, I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has led it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him offer his cheek to one who would strike him, and let him be filled with disgrace. For men are not cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. And there we finish. And we pray God's special blessing on his word this evening. I'm sure we all have our favorite hymns, our favorite songs. We actually sang one of mine earlier this evening, that last one, In Christ Alone Our Hope Is Found. And how wonderful that message certainly is. That's the gospel wrapped up in a few stanzas of a lovely old hymn. Another one of my all-time favorites is what I would certainly call a golden oldie. It was actually penned by an American all the way from Kentucky. And the guy who penned these words was actually born in a log cabin way back in 1866, before any of our times. And his name was Thomas Obadiah Chisholm. And the words that he penned, I'm thinking about this evening, he actually wrote these words back in the early 1920s, so around about 100 years ago. Now, for some people alive then in the USA, those years were famously known as the Roaring Twenties. Alas, for the majority of American citizens, it was a decade of poverty and of hardship. 
And this great old hymn that I'm thinking about this evening, it was actually birthed from his own experience of God's steadfast love, of God's unerring faithfulness day after day, in good times and in bad times. This guy was conscious of God's providential care, of his generous, unfailing provision. Mr. Chisholm, he led a fairly ordinary, boring kind of life. He died in his 90s in the year 1960. What's the hymn I'm talking about? Well, the hymn I'm referring to is Great is Thy Faithfulness. A hymn we all know, don't we? Great is Thy Faithfulness. And do you know if you know anything about that particular hymn, you'll realize the great truths that are in that hymn, they're actually rooted in the verses we have read together in Lamentations and chapter 3. Let me read them to you from the New Living Translation. This is what it says. The unfailing love of the Lord never ends. By his mercies, we have been kept from complete destruction. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each day. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. Those are wonderful words, aren't they? And I'm sure many of us gathered here this evening are listening and watching from home. We can echo them from our own experience of life. Life with its ups and its downs, days of sunshine and days of shade. Great is thy faithfulness. Now, before we get into the heart of the text, I think it's worth noting that the book of Lamentations is exactly that. It is a lament. And you know, beloved friends, that's not something you and I as the people of God are particularly good at. Sure, we moan, we grumble about this, that and the other, don't we? We have a wee whine, we have a wee whinge every now and then. If things aren't going your way or perhaps even my way. But then you read these five chapters. And what you have right here is a real lament. What is it? It's a heartfelt cry from the broken heart of one man who finds himself living in a world that is broken. And we assume we're talking here about Jeremiah, but this preacher man, this prophet, he has seen it all. And quite literally, as he pens these words, it has taken him right to the edge. And everything that he encounters... It just seems to be so much more than he is able to handle. Did you know, dear friends, that one out of every three psalms strikes a very similar chord? Now, think about that. One third of the official songbook of ancient Israel wrestles with pain and perplexity and anxiety and anguish. Now, sadly, that is not often reflected in the hymns that we often sing week in and week out when we gather to worship together on the Lord's Day. Someone has rightly said, and I agree with them, lament is not the path to worship, but lament rather is the path of worship. And that's exactly what you have right here in full color in the book of Lamentations. So about you and I, very ordinary people, the people of God, coping with life in a minor key. 
My friend, what the preacher man is talking about there. This is real life. It's for real people who were living in the real world. I can tell you, and you will know it as well as I do, it ain't all sunshine, it ain't all blue skies. Everything in your life and mine isn't 24-7 hunky-dory. And it just seems to me this book should have a strap line, again, culled from another lovely old hymn, that says something like this. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. Welcome to Lamentations. You know, the words that we're focusing on this evening, they are a robust reminder that you and I find ourselves on a journey. It's a journey where the Spirit of God is taking us by the hand and is leading us through our brokenness, is leading us from our disappointment, and is taking us to a cherished, safe place, a place of sweet and calm assurance. It's a bit like a transition, or in musical terminology, it's a change of key. Because on one hand, we leave pain behind us, and we move on to the wonder of a promise. It's a winding path, which will take you and I from the low road of heartache and heartbreak up to the higher road, where hope is the essence of our experience. And that's where God's servant has arrived. That's where he's at right here in uh, Lamentations and in chapter 3. You know, these words were penned by a man, weren't they? Who, one Bible commentator said, had been stung and stifled and savaged and shot. And that's what you find if you look at the verses we did not read together. Looking at verse 4, way down to the end of verse 16. This, my dear friends, is nothing less than a monumental chapter. Let me just run through them ever so briefly for you. The prophet has faced the harsh reality of turmoil head on. He has had a front row seat, as it were, to see the appalling despair of the people of Israel. I mean, these guys had a coming to them, didn't they? Because of their disobedience, because of their unfaithfulness to Jehovah. On a purely human level, life has been so unfair and so unkind that the prophet actually reels from every blow. We can say about the prophet in chapter 3, it has winded him and it certainly has wounded him. So much so that when you move into verses 17 to verse 20, the preacher, he just can't forget the turbulence that he's been through. And it's fairly obvious, it's fairly understandable, isn't it? I mean, it is etched on his heart. It is graven into his mind. For for the preacher right here in chapter 3, he is going through what you and I would call a living nightmare. And then did you notice, quite miraculously, down there in verse 21, he utters these truly extraordinary words. Yet this, I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. You know the lesson there, dear friends, is very simply this. God meets us where we are. God meets us where we are. And that wasn't only true for him way back there and then. That is no less a beautiful reality in your life and mine this evening in Union Chapel. God comes 
And he meets us where we are. And then you see what he does. Down in verse 26, he acknowledges that the best thing that he can do is to what? It's to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And you know the thought that you have there uppermost in his mind? The old preacher, he doesn't need to know all the ins and outs of what the sovereign Lord is doing. No, this is not the time for answers to his many questions. All he needs to do is to wait a wee while longer in the presence of God. Soak that in and trust him a wee bit more. And the lesson there is that God will do what God will do. Isn't it? And so he needs to trust him, even though he doesn't know what or even when. And you know, you see what's happening there in the, in, the, in the chapter? For that's when the penny drops. And it all begins to fit into place, doesn't it? Because now he begins to take heart from verse 31. This is what he says, that men are not cast off by the Lord forever. My friends, unlike many of us who were gathered here this evening, he finds reassurance. He finds massive encouragement in verse 32, where he frankly, openly, honestly admits Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. Why? Because so great is his unfailing love. You know what Jeremiah is discovering right here, folks? Jeremiah is finding out for himself that his God is a covenant-keeping God. He is the eternal God. And when he thinks about him, here is a God who is not bound by the past, nor is he even boxed in by the present. And so for the old preacher man, in the midst of the ruins and the rubble of a devastated city, you see what he's talking about? There is a future on the near horizon. There is hope. The exciting prospect of a bright and a better tomorrow. Why? Because his God is a God of hope. A God of hope. And that hasn't changed. You see, dear friends, underpinning his mindset and his attitude is that won't go away fact of the goodness of a faithful God. We sang about it earlier this evening in our second song. Faithful one, so unchanging. And my friends, look, that's the only explanation for his comment down there in verse 25 where he notes that the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. We would say a hearty amen to that, wouldn't we? You see, think about it like this. Even though he's battered, and he's bruised and bewildered. This is the immovable bedrock of his theology. That come what may, good or not so good, come what may, the Lord is unfailingly good and faithful. You see, even by the time you come to chapter 3, the middle of the entire book, his circumstances haven't changed. No. Jerusalem. It's still ransacked. It's been ravaged. But you see what's different now? His perspective is reversed. 
And the lesson we learn this evening is this, my dear friends, that even in shockingly awful times, even when we find ourselves living in horrendously terrible times, even in moments when your life and mine, when our emotions are raw, you know what the message is? The Lord is good. He's always good. And I think that begs the question this evening, does it not? In the midst of our sense of loss and desolation at times, for you and for me, when things happen to us, when life spirals out of control, when you and I sometimes reach rock bottom only to find that under our feet is sinking and shifting sand, the question is this, why is our God a good God? And that gets right to the nub of the matter of what you have in chapter 3, doesn't it? And that's what you have unfolded right there. In that trio of verses 22 to 24. I have to say, dear friends, I, uh, I just love these verses. I love them. They're just so refreshingly honest, aren't they? What you have in 22, 24. These are not pious platitudes that trip off the tongue of the servant of God. No. There's nothing triumphalist about them either. But you know what they are? They're a vigorous reminder that hope does not spring from a change in our personal circumstances. But you know where it comes from? It comes from what we know to be true. It comes from what we know to be true, despite the situation we're stirring at from dawn to dusk. And that's the rationale behind the statement down there in verse 21. Yet this I call to mind. You've seen it all. Yet this I call to mind. You see, dear friends, when life is hard, and it often is, we can hope. We will hope. Because there is a hope. For you and for me, I think we need to learn to interpret our pain. We need to learn to interpret our problems and our perplexities. But how do we do it? We view them through the lens of the character of God. We need to go back to basics, as it were, don't we? And do what the prophet did and rehearse these fundamental truths. First, he says down there, we call them to mind. Oh, yeah. Call them to mind. And then secondly, see what he encourages us to do? To talk to ourselves. Ever talk to yourself? Yeah, I certainly do. I often give myself a good talking to. And people drive past or walk past, they think you're crazy. They think you're a fool. But that's what he says right here. Call to mind. Then talk to yourself. Reciting these truths over and over and over again. And my friends, when you and I find ourselves struggling in the quicksand of life, I think there are four wonderful truths. Four truths that we can anchor our hearts to. Okay? Number one. The well of God's mercy never dries up. The well of God's mercy, it never dries up. You see, in our tough times, and we all have them, don't we? We sometimes wonder, like the psalmist did before us, has God failed us? Has God forgotten all about us? 
We sometimes question, has the river of divine mercy stopped flowing toward us? Well, look, beloved, read what the preacher man says right here in chapter 3. Read what he says. He promises, what? That God's love, it never ever stops. He says that the love of God never ever ceases. He says the love of God never ever comes to an end. I think it's the ESV translation puts it like this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning and great is your faithfulness. You know, the Hebrew word that you have there for love is a significant word. It's the word hesed. Hesed. Do you know what that speaks to us of? God's confident love for you, for me, who are his people. You know, it's an attribute that's actually rooted in the character of God. Simply put, it is who God is. And it's what God does. In other words, God is love. Therefore, God loves. Let me put it like this. God does what he does. Because God is who he is. And look at this. Because God never stops being God. It means that his compassion, said the preacher, never ever fail. My friends, he always delivers the goods according to his schedule. Oh yeah, he's always on time. It may not be your time. It may not be my time. It's always... His time. He never lets us down. He never ever lets us go. I mean, take a moment even this evening later on. And think of his mercies in your own life. I mean, the list is endless, isn't it? I mean, we could go on and 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 on, couldn't we? And still there would be more. They're far too numerous for you and I to recall. The old hymn says, count your blessings. Name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Thomas Titham admitted in his hymn, Strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow, blessings all mine, with ten thousand besides. You know, aren't we humbled when we realize that these are not just a one-off token of God's goodness and God's kindness, I mean, nor are they even lavished upon us every now and then when when God feels like it. No. You see what he said? They're new every morning. New every morning. Did you see that? Not just some days, but every morning. With the manna, it was six days every week. But this one is so much better. It is seven days. Wow. You know, that means exactly what it says. It does. When you wake up in the morning, you rub the sleep from your eyes and you go down the stairs, you put the coffee pot on. Hey guys, remember this. His mercies are new every morning. And you know, with the dawn of every new day, his grace and his mercy comes to you and to me with a freshness. I mean, there's nothing stale about the mercies of God. No, no. He's not giving us yesterday's leftovers reheated in the divine microwave. 
No, no, not like that at all. These gifts that we're talking about here, from the heart of God, every day, they have the dew of heaven resting upon them. Beloved friends, there's enough at the start of the day to take us through to the end of the day. Why? Because God knows what we need. And he knows when we need it. Like manna for those few days. It's one day at a time. And so we keep on going. How do we do it? We do it because our faithful God keeps on coming. Every morning to you and to me. We endure day after day. Why? Because the mercy of God is never, ever exhausted. And what's more, dear friends, look at what he says in verse 24. God's mercy, where does it lead us? Did you notice this? It leads us to himself. It says in verse 24, for he is our portion. We receive of the mercies of God. The dawning of every new day. And it leads us right to the faithful one. To one whose faithfulness is the stuff of legend. And that's why Jeremiah says what he does. Therefore, therefore, I will wait for him. I will hope in him. Look at it like this, dear friends. When God comes along to your life and to mine, and he strips us, Of everything, we've got nothing left. All we have is him. And when all we have is him, that's when we have enough. And sometimes, that's why bad things happen to God's good people. That's why the divine intruder will sometime enter into your life and into my life. He will break in. It's to remind us, is it not, that when you and I have nothing, and when we find ourselves enveloped in a dark cloud, our God, our faithful God, our good God, is everything that we really need. He is sufficient. My dear friends, the well of God's mercy, it never dries up never dress up. The second lesson we learn right here is that waiting time is not wasted time. Waiting time is not wasted time. Now, if you're anything like me, dear friends, you're probably hoping you're not. I'm no doubts about that. But look, if you are, if you are, this is one area where I really do struggle. I mean... I just don't like being stuck in a waiting room. I've spent hours in them over the last couple of years. A waiting room of any description, I just don't like it. For me, if I have to wait for that person in front of me at the red light to get away, as soon as it turns to green, then I'm not the most patient. You know what I mean, don't you? Too many people, and they're not all learners, too many people seem to stall when the lights are turning. Don't they? Now that said, I'm learning slowly that there are times in my life as there are in yours when it's jolly good to wait. 
And that's what the prophet focuses on right there, isn't it? In verses 25 to 27. I mean, he scratches here where many of us are itching. We don't see the full impact of what he says right there in our English translation. But if you were reading this in the Hebrew text, and John will back this up, you would discover this ever so quickly. That these three verses all begin with the Hebrew word for good. Good, dot, 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 three times over. This is what it says. Good is the Lord to those who wait for him. Number two, good it is that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Number three, good it is for a young man to bear the yoke in his youth. Now, what does it mean? What's the point behind it? Well, you see, when we take that at face value, it means there's, and I'm stating the obvious, it means there's something jolly good here. Doesn't it? But the question is, what is it? What's so good? Well, for you and I to wait on the Lord. What does that mean? Well, it means that we're putting our trust in him. It means that we're placing our hope in him. It means that we're turning everything over to one whom we know can and is able to deliver us. It means we've come to a point in each of our lives where our entire confidence is resting on him and in he alone. We wait upon the Lord. Why? Because he is God. And we are not. Now, let's face it, dear friends. Waiting is difficult, isn't it? It's hard. I mean, I'm sure many of you can identify with me in that score. The problem of waiting is this. When we're waiting for this, that, and the other, it just feels so difficult because it appears as though we're, we're not doing anything. But isn't that the key point? Isn't that the central issue? We're not doing anything. We're not doing anything. But God is. God is. We're in a rush. We're in a hurry. If it's going to happen, we want it to happen right now. Or even better, 10 or 15 minutes earlier. But my friend, that's where. That's where. In the providence of God, of a sovereign Lord, Time spent in his waiting room always pays rich and handsome dividends. Why? Because God is working his purposes out behind the scenes in your life and in mine as well. The well of God's mercy, it never dries up. The second lesson, waiting time is not wasted time. What about the third lesson? Well, it is this. The last chapter is not yet written. The last chapter is not yet written. I mean, it's not easy for you and I to come to terms with our ups and downs in in this life. Sure it's not. I mean, sometimes they're over within a few days or maybe even a few weeks. But there are other times they just seem to drag on and on and on. No apparent end in sight. But we need to remember, beloved. We need to remember that the one who is all wise will never cause his children to shed a needless tear. Says Paul, Romans 8, 2 Corinthians 4, our troubles are momentary when compared to an eternity 
in the presence of Christ. And I think that's where the prophet excels here, isn't it? That's where he brings us back to the heart of our Heavenly Father. When he writes what he does down there in verse 31 and verse 32, he says, the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Oh, my friends, our trials and our troubles, your suffering and mine, we may not always appreciate it, but it has a purpose. And whatever that purpose may be, It is always, always for our benefit and for our blessing. God's plan for your life and mine is one that is overflowing with compassion, with an abundance of steadfast love. You and I can rest in the glorious truth this Lord's Day evening that all will be well. Oh yeah. We can say to our hearts individually. We can say to one another as we chat among ourselves. Hey buddy. It'll be alright. It'll be okay. The last chapter has not yet been written. And I think our God comes ever so near to us in moments like that. And moments when we feel abandoned. Moments when we feel all alone. Moments when the tears are running down our faces. Moments when we think and feel as if, hey, I just can't take any more of this. It's in moments like that, that our kind, good God comes close. And he whispers to you and to me, you're my child. I love you. Trust in me. You see, here's the one who knows the end from the beginning, doesn't he? You and I can trust our God to write the entire story of our lives. I think of as David Livingstone who coined the phrase that our future is as bright as the promises of God. And one day Jesus shall return and he will take us home to glory. And my friend, at that point, in that hour, we'll understand the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern that he has planned. And I'm sure for many of us, that day can't come soon enough. These verses are precious. They they just mean a lot. But when we see the Lord face to face, I have no doubts, no doubts, that no matter what we pass through this side of glory, That when we see him, you and I will pay tribute to the greatness of his faithfulness. The last chapter is not yet written. And then the final thought that we have right here is that God is good all the time. God is good all the time. I mean, we often say that to one another, don't we? And we firmly believe it when everything in the garden is rosy. I mean, I hear people saying when God answers prayer, hey, buddy, God is good. But when things begin to crash around them, they're silent. When paying testimony to the goodness of God, when things are hunky-dory, God is good. God is good. But my friend, when things go pear-shaped in your life and in mine, God is still unfailingly good. 
You know, I think we have an affirmation of this truth, don't we? Up the page in verse 25. And then it's expanded on a wee bit further down the chapter in verse 33, where we read these beautiful words. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to the children of men. Now keep in mind the context in which the prophet is writing. Think about the promise. Jerusalem, the city of God, the joy of the whole earth. She's been leveled. The temple has been raised. The city looks like a bomb has hit it. Literally, it was that bad. And still some. But you see what Jeremiah says right here? Such destruction. It doesn't come from the heart of a God who enjoys seeing his people experience hardship and deprivation. No. God finds no pleasure. He finds no satisfaction when his covenant people are living their lives on the ragged edge. My friend, for you and for me, even when the bottom has fallen out of our tiny little world, the invincible truth is simply this. God is good all the time. Not unlike the experience of dear Joseph. You remember he testified in Genesis chapter 50 that when his brothers had done the dirty in him, to put it very simply, this is what Joseph said. Others, you guys, intended it for evil. But God, but God He meant it for good. Beloved friends, that's where faith is conscious of the impeccable track record of a faithful God. That's where your faith and mine gingerly reaches out to grasp the unseen hand of a faithful God. That's where your faith and mine will proclaim no matter how I feel in my heart, no matter what I see with my eyes, God is good. God is good. You see, in moments like that in your life, and sure, in mine as well, that's when God comes. You know what he does? He turns the question marks into exclamation marks. He turns the question marks into exclamation marks. And that's why we can sing with gusto, with conviction, the chorus of that great old hymn, Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Oh, my friends, may God grant it in your life and in mine that come what may, we may be able to, with his help and his anointing, to pay tribute to the faithful one So unchanging. The well of God's mercy never dries up. And those moments of waiting, they're never wasted. And don't forget the last chapter has not yet been written. But always keep in the front of your mind. And I said to myself as well, that God is good all the time. And all the time, Our God is good. Amen. Amen.